Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen. My guest today is my friend and colleague, Ed Covert. Ed is the Director of Technical Security Testing for Warner Media, where he leads the team that conducts security evaluations and assessments for applications within the Warner Media Enterprise. Ed's got nearly 30 years of intelligence, cybersecurity, and risk management experience, and his specialties include enterprise security architecture, application security assessments, insider threat, cybersecurity defense, security program development, vulnerability management, and incident response lifecycle management. Suffice it to say, he's a guy worth Googling and very, very, very well qualified in the domain of cybersecurity. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilson. This is my friend cohort, Ed Covert. And Ed was kind enough to join us today. I know you've done a few things like this uh, for us, Ed, and I really appreciate it. Ed is the technical Ed is the director of technical security testing for Warner Media and um, also does a lot of uh, professional speaking engagement, subject matter expert type stuff. So we're very lucky to have him today. Um, especially since uh, tomorrow's a big day for you, Ed. What's going on tomorrow? Tomorrow I start my 49th trip around the sun, so. Love it. Be well into your 49th year. Well, happy birthday in advance. Thank you. And uh, if, we knew, if we'd known, we would have, uh, I don't know, baked you a cake, but we would have had to <laughs> yeah. send it via Postmates or something. <laughs> um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about, you know, Director of Technical Security Testing for Warner Media. So your current role. Tell us um, what that comprises of. What it, what that is a comprised of, rather. Sure. So what my team and I do is we look at an application in usually one of three or two or three or three or three aspects, depending on the risk level the application presents to the enterprise. Um, so in theory, any application that sits on the Warner Media Enterprise or uh, processes Warner Media data, and that you know Warner Media being HBO, Turner, Warner Brothers, TNT, all, all the brands, CNN, um, they come through my process. And we're, those three areas that we look at, we look at, we do an architectural review, we do a full-on threat model, and then we also do technical security testing, i.e., pen testing, if you will, um, against applications. Again, all dependent on risk. So medium risks only get one of the three. High risks get two of the three. Criticals get all of the three. Gotcha. <laughs> Excellent. And then how long have you been at WB? I think as your job title has changed at least once when you were there, right? Yeah. So I came out to California in, uh, and started at Warner Brothers in November of 2018. I was the director of security architecture and engineering for them. And then with the Warner Media merger and uh, the consolidation of the security teams, they didn't need a HBO team and a Turner team and a Warner Brothers team. They combined them all into a single Warner Media security team. And so my role changed a little bit. And now I run uh, the application security testing aspects for Warner Media. Gotcha. So narrower focus, but a broader scope. Bigger, bigger, um, yeah, bigger group of stuff. So sounds good. How many people, uh, how many people under you at this point? Uh, it varies. But um, I've got six full-time staff members, and and then I've got a range of uh, contract support, uh, and that sort of varies depending on what day of the week it is. Gotcha. 
Yeah. Well, and especially, you know, current world events, everything seems to be evolving pretty rapidly. Plus, I mean, that was a huge merger, obviously, between AT&T and, uh, and Warner Brothers. So, um, hey, if we take a step back, uh, tell us how you ended up there. Tell us a little bit about your career path. You obviously have many years of experience prior to joining Warner. What got you interested in the field? How'd you end up joining? Sure. So I was assigned um, to Fort Meade in the Navy. So Fort Meade, Maryland, for those who don't know, is home of the National Security Agency. I was doing the non-cyber mission for the NSA via the Navy and then got out of the service and started. He was basically became a contractor at NSA and we did that for a number of years. Um, ended up at EDS back when there was an EDS. I think it's HP now. But EDS had a contract to do cybersecurity for the Air National Guard back when they were at Andrews Air Force Base. And I was working for a lady... Uh, also an EDS contractor who ran the, who was the head of security, if you will. And uh, I mean, I knew a little bit about security, I was, you know, but from a military intelligence standpoint, not necessarily a true cyber standpoint, uh, but I really cut my teeth on that project. And then she quit and moved on to another project. And I ended up stepping up and becoming the security lead. And that was all she wrote. And that was, would have been mid nineties. Okay. And this is, you said Edward. So in Lancaster, right? Andrews Air Force Base. Andrews. Maryland. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, the ANG has since moved. They Right before I left there, they ended up moving to uh, uh, the Virginia side of Potomac, but yeah. Okay. And then what brought you out to California? So it's, Warner was the first place you joined when you got here, right? Yeah, I was actually recruited out here. Uh, I was at, at the, after 20 some odd years of federal contracting, I had decided that um, maybe it was time to see what life outside the government was like. Fair enough. So I went to go work for Deutsche Bank. Uh, they were building a new cybersecurity center of excellence right outside of DC. And when I left DB, I was the global head of security architecture for the bank. So I put their, you know, the first real enterprise security architecture plan in place and, and got it up and running and was very comfortable with it. Um, I had gotten divorced. My kids were all grown. And I was like, there's really nothing holding me to the East Coast now. Mm-hmm. And I ended up talking to a, uh, a former colleague of mine when I was at Booz Allen, who was at WB, and she essentially recruited me to come out here for this for that director of security architecture engineering gig. And I was like, well, why the hell not? Cool. All right. So you moved here for the job then? I yeah, it sounds like, job, yeah. sounds like it's definitely, you know, kept you busy. You have, obviously, oh, yeah. there's, you know, part of this huge merger and so some big changes there. And then... It certainly um, keeps me off the streets. Yeah. So hopefully... And let's talk a little bit more about this later. We're starting to turn the corner on what was, you know, one of the biggest sort of like world events, um, at least of my lifetime. Um, so you're in the middle of, obviously, there's this giant coming together of AT&T and Warner Brothers and Warner Media and the whole thing. And as that happens, you guys are basically kicked out of your offices um, indefinitely. And um, there's a huge shift in security requirements, right? Because all these people are working from outside their home. So there's some obvious stuff, right? Like you guys probably had to do, you know, a couple years worth of work in a couple months as everybody transitioned. But um, what were some of the uh, like things that you discovered that that surprised you the most, or what were the things you learned that were most interesting to you? Yeah, I'll I'll be the first to admit I was one of those people when they told us, you know, we're we're going to work remote. I said, yeah, two weeks, three weeks tops, we'll be back in the office. Not a big deal, right? Um, and Clearly, clearly I was wrong. Um, so for us, the big thing, I mean, so we're cyber, we're IT related, IT adjacent. Uh, we're used to working remote. It's not a big deal. 
the challenge, the thing that surprised me was how much of, particularly on the movie studio side, was not set up to do remote work on. Um, and I'm talking about the VFX editors and the sound editors and all those systems that, you, you know, you, if you think about it, yeah, that makes sense that they, they need to make a movie, but they, they're not in the forefront of your mind. Yeah. So we spent a significant amount of time in those first couple of weeks, really the first couple of months, trying to build and test, uh, and I'm, I'm on the test side, not on the build side, remote solutions for these folks to be able to log in from their home computers, because a lot of them don't have laptops. And then we spent a lot of time and energy building, you know, making sure the images put on laptops so we could ship laptops to everyone who needed them so they have a remote connection in. Um, and then not everybody has the same internet connectivity from home. So it's all those sorts of things became just just massively important in those first couple of months. And we, we, we hit it in about four months where we, st we really hit a status level of, of being okay with things. But those yeah. first four months, right, through the late spring and early summer, and it was just, it was hopping around. Yeah. Well, and of course, I think if you would have, certainly if you would have asked, I can only speak for myself, if somebody would ask me how long would it take an organization your size to transition 100% of the creative workforce to remote work, I would have said two to three years, probably. So there's something like, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. There's something really exciting about, because you guys are big. Well, obviously, DZ has worked with Warner for a long time. Um, you know, like all big companies, you guys don't move super fast, but it was like when it came down to it, when it needed to be done, you guys got well, it. It was, a, as you said, it was sort of this interesting time because one, you had this global pandemic going on and two, as you mentioned, we had this merger, right? The first team uh, to be truly merged across Warner Media was the security team. Oh, we I were, see. We were the test case to see if it could be done. Um, so we were actually in a great position to start reaching out across the various legacy business divisions because we all worked in one of the three of them. And so it 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 made navigating some of the organizational challenges uh, a little easier, mm -hmm. which was, you know, if we had tried, there are teams, actually, I can say this now, there are teams that didn't fully merge and migrate into each other till late fall. And, right. you know, there was a massive reorganization in the fall that, you know, did a lot of the stuff that we went through early on. So it was, it was interesting to watch it now from an outside perspective, but it did make communication and collaboration, at least on the CSO side, the cyber side, uh, mm -hmm. a little easier. It was one less thing we had to worry about. Cause you were like already in your end state from like yeah, an organizational. We were, we were like 90% at the end state. Yeah. Gotcha. So I'm actually excited to even be able to ask this question. Right. But um, so California governor, Governor Newsom, you know, is saying that things will be back to normal on June 15th. I think we all understand that we can interpret the term normal in a lot of different ways. Sure. But um, absolutely. And I, I understand also that, you know, strategy changes from time to time. But just from in your personal opinion, what do you see? What do you think the return to work is going to be like in terms of working in the office? Not just, you know, when, but like, you think it'll be different permanently? How do you think it'll affect corporate culture? Like, well, I, okay, so I got to be careful. I don't want to get too far ahead of AT and T, which of course is our, our parent company. We have been told um, that we will be back in the office. I think it's September is what the September first. Okay. Um, and we are. My team is moving. So I had an office in the you know over in Pinnacle Two, which is the building that we're in off the lot, uh, off the Warner Brothers lot. Um, 
I will be going and my team will be going to what they call a flex model. So a certain number of days a month in the office, probably most likely in a hoteling scenario. You know, if you're familiar with that, where you don't have a permanent desk, you may have a locker you store your stuff in. And then the rest of the time you're working from home. Um, personally, not a huge fan of hoteling. One of the reasons I don't work at Deutsche Bank anymore, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. um, but what I think longer term, what this ultimately means is there was a real hesitancy I saw prior to COVID about work from home. I think a lot of companies were suspicious of it. I think they thought people were just going to sort of slack off and probably not work as hard. Um, and they really needed to see people in the office. I think that's fundamentally changed. I also think that leads to a change in terms of do you need office space at the same scale that you know you've had prior to the pandemic? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the answer to that is resoundingly no. And so, what does that mean for the corporate real estate market? You know, in a city like LA or New York or any large major metropolitan area, I think you're going to start to see real ramifications of that over the next year. Um, office prices going down, square foot prices going down, but it also I think showed the you know the country that we have some infrastructure problems, particularly around broadband reach. Right? Yes, a, you know there was a story it, was, it went viral I don't know six months ago about these two young ladies who, uh, in order to have internet connectivity to do their online school schooling, had to sit out in the parking lot of a Taco Bell to connect to that Wi-Fi because they didn't have Wi-Fi at home. Yeah, and you know it's sort of humorous, but at the same time you're like, holy hell. How many other kids are like this in the world, in the country, that we've demanded that everybody do online learning for a certain amount of time, but they don't even have the basic resources to make that happen? Yes. Um, so I think you're starting, you know, those sorts of things will come to the forefront in even greater, greater aspects. Yeah, I think there's some big limitations there. I mean, because you and I live in a densely populated urban area and we have like, sure. you know, like good jobs. It's, for us, it's just a, it's a problem that can be solved with money, right? Um, and of course, if we didn't have enough money, there's like uh, the phone company has like uh, Lifeline, for example, where you can get, you know, basic telephone service somewhat inexpensively if you can prove that you don't have the necessary income. We probably have to figure that out for broadband because it seems like at this point, like broadband today is as important as phone service was, you know, 30 years ago. Yep. It is, um, it, is a, it, is a, it is a function of living in a modern society. It doesn't matter where you live in the country. You've got to have some sort of internet access that's reliable. Yeah. And um, I mean, it, it does do cool stuff. Like if we can prove that online wor learning works and you've got somebody who's particularly gifted, who maybe lives in a you know, very sparsely populated area, and this is now an acceptable form of learning that's considered on par with in-person learning. Yeah. We have to get the infrastructure to that person, but now they could, you know, perhaps participate. I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I think you're in grad school, right? But every grad school is reaching out to me like, hey, how'd you like to get an MBA? You know, it's wide open online. Yeah, yeah. Stanford, yeah. you know. And I, I am in grad school, uh, Colorado State, uh, Golden Hawks. But um, it is all online. Um, and, but it, that, that doesn't bother. I did my undergraduate online too, to University of Maryland. So I'm okay with the online learning. It's funny because we were just, we were oddly enough, just talking about this very subject in class last night. Um, there is a large percentage of obviously parents who want kids back in in-person schooling. Mm -hmm. And I, I get it. There's a not insignificant number. This is a, a political article that I was reading that wanted to stay in remote. I mean, it was like 13%. But mm -hmm. still, you're thinking 
13 percent that's, that's a good that's, you know one in ten yeah. <laughs> parents are like hey keep our kids in school anyway the point the question the uh the professor had posited uh and asked us to respond to was this idea of online learning at, is it is it useful or is it not useful and of course he's asking a class full of online learners and i haven't seen anybody else's response but my essentially was Look, I'm in graduate school online. I did my undergraduate school online. It worked for me. It doesn't make a big difference. Now, I happen to have two children who are both in college. Right. Uh, my daughter goes to Towson University and, you know, in-person school. Uh, they transition to online learning uh, when the pandemic started. And she has flourished under it. She loves it. It's the greatest thing ever. Whereas my youngest um, was going to a school in Pittsburgh, and he hated it. It, it just didn't yeah. work for him. And so it ultimately depends on the student. And you end up having to, I think, deal with a hybrid model of some sort. You need to have both options available. You can't just dictate one or the other. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, it would be really cool. And I, I think they're working on this. I know my, my daughter is at Fordham, and they had a hybrid model just these last few months. I mean, obviously, New York still been hit pretty hard. But it was interesting. Theirs was, they, I don't know that they were able to get right in the short period of time they had for the planning. The... So it was optional. Nobody had to go to class. You could go if you wanted. But um, I mean, what would be so cool is if class became like hoteling so that simultaneously you could have online live learning along with uh, people sitting in class. I don't yeah. I don't know how successful they were. That's what they were trying to accomplish anyway. Sure. Yeah. And then there's obviously we have the problem of we have to get the wires, the cables, the fiber out to these like remote areas at this point. Right. I mean, I don't I don't know that we've really um, I don't think we've been a hundred percent successful. There are still definitely, if you go, you know, Northern Minnesota, Eastern Washington, I mean, you reach a point where you need some kind of satellite dish if you want to, uh, if you want to yeah. have uh, communication. Absolutely. Um, okay. So you're talking about hoteling, um, long-term sounds like things will change a little bit. You guys, of course, are also, you know, ATT slash Warner is doing a giant, um, really exciting, uh, real estate project. In Burbank, now I know you have we a are. bunch of got a bunch we of are. rental property you can surrender, so that that probably yeah. all works out. Yeah, it's, we call it the Iceberg Building. It's part of our Second Century project where they are uh, we're designing our own building essentially, so we're no longer renting our leasing building space. But it, it's it's really cool. It's on if you're familiar with the Burbank area, it's right off 134 Highway 134. Uh, and it's been, I mean, I can see it from my apartment when I look out at night. I can see the cranes out there. They're, they're still working on it. So yeah. uh, I think we're supposed to move in in 2023 is when it becomes, um, you know, we become occupants. So we're excited. Yeah, that's pretty soon. I didn't realize it was going to be done so soon. That's awesome. Yeah, they broke ground on it right before the pandemic started. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, what can you do, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, at that point, you, get, you build it and somebody will... We'll move into it. But no, I think our plan is to move all the, what they call the Warner Media content and education technology team, which is essentially the Warner Brothers IT teams. Yeah, because I mean, you guys have obviously plenty of employees that are in rental space. So I'm sure it'll all, I mean, it seems like that'll all work out. There's, we have some other clients that are also doing, just happen to be doing huge construction projects right when this happens. So. Right. Um, my opinion is it all depends on the job function, but, um, you know, I was talking with, uh, somebody else about how 
one of the things I look forward to about people returning to the office, even if it's not all the time, is like uh, when you hire and train new people, it's very difficult to kind of get the culture in people quickly when you're not in person. Yeah, I actually hired my first person in the pandemic back in May. And uh, I finally, it took me nine months, but I finally met him in person. Yeah, (laughs) We see each other in conference calls and video calls and that sort of things all the time. Um, but yeah, we actually, he came down and we had dinner at my place, uh, just cause we had, you know, after nine or 10 months of, of talking, it seemed important to physically meet the individual. So I had to hire a new finance person in the midst of all that. So that was interesting. It's like, um, we, we met in person pretty shortly after, uh, she joined. Um, but you know, with a bunch of precautions and stuff, but like, right. As this was happening, I lost somebody, I made the transition and, uh, you know, you're, you're hiring someone to uh, handle all your company's finances. Yeah. Right. And you haven't met them in person, but I don't know all of that. I I mean, and I think you alluded to this, like, I think a lot of that was, it was very difficult for me because I'm a very in the office kind of person, but I think it was healthy, you know, to do stuff like that and have it work out. It makes you realize, Hey, I mean, Hey, the more options we have, the more flexible employees work situation is, you know, hopefully the more productivity and the better, you know, employee engagement you're going to get. So I don't know. I, uh, I haven't lived very far from the office for a long time, but I did have to like drive and go pick something up the other day. And like, I'd completely forgotten how incredibly challenging an hour of LA traffic can be. Yeah, I was talking to my girlfriend about this. We were out and about a couple weeks ago. It was on a Saturday, and I think we had sort of gotten used to the idea. Because I I don't go anywhere during the week. I just Mm -hmm. sit at my desk, or I go upstairs and sit on the patio or whatever. But she goes out during the day on occasion. Um, We were sort of driving down 101, and traffic was just backed up in the middle of a Saturday morning. And it dawned on me that we had gotten very used over the last year to very little traffic. Yeah. And suddenly traffic is coming back. And we're like, oh, this sucks. This is awful. But that's actually normal LA traffic. <laughs> so That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just a little dis- disheartening because I really enjoyed being able to make it to LAX in 22 minutes. And now I can't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because, you know, obviously when a lot of, you know, interstate highways post-World War II were, be, you know, and all this stuff and they were transitioning away from, from streetcars, we all... I mean, this, the way that the pandemic traffic experience has been is the way that it was intended. No, nobody planned to have giant traffic jams. So it's like this brief glimpse at like, hey, the people that designed these highway systems, this is what they wanted our experience to be like. But uh, you were right. So you could get to LAX yeah. in 22 minutes. But yeah. uh, definitely those uh, those days are over. Yeah, um, it's it was, um, uh, I just... I, I, after a year of being of living, I just sort of have forgotten what normal LA life was like. But it's starting to come back, and that's ultimately more important than my traffic woes. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I also was enjoying never waiting in line anywhere, um, and you know that's that's come back now for sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but that's it's a good sign, right? It means that people are out and doing stuff. So it, it is ultimately a good sign. Yeah. So hey. Unrelated to uh, your role at work, anything in terms of like technology innovation that you're interested in? I had a long, I had a talk with somebody about self-driving cars the other day. I, uh, I bought some Dogecoin before it was too late. It's been a pretty good day for me. You know, yeah. only a little bit, but enough to keep me interested. I have avoided most of the the cryptocurrency stuff. I'm just, I don't know. It still seems like gambling to me to a certain degree. 
It's absolutely uh, gambling. That's absolutely <laughs> what it is. Yeah, I you know what interests me, and I don't I don't want to plug a product that we haven't purchased yet. Um, but we have spent a lot of time with an automated threat modeling system that is it's pretty slick. Um, we're still doing a proof of concept of it, so I'll, like I said, I'm not going to give anybody the name of it. But essentially, it it allows us to import cloud configs and then do real time threat analysis and threat modeling on those configurations. And uh, if we can get it to work and work properly, it will dramatically increase our productivity in terms of, because right now you have to do a threat model, you do it by hand, right? You draw it out in Visio, or draw a lucid chart or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're, we're terribly interested in that. Um, I am still one of those old school people that like standard operating procedures written down. Mm -hmm. So I have spent an exorbitant amount of time at, uh, I think, according to my girlfriend, at least, uh, writing SOPs and posting them on our wiki page. And that's how I'm trying to teach the team a consistent, common way of doing things. Because at some point in my career, I won't be in this job. Yep. And I want to make sure that uh, we're still doing it the same way. And if you know that way needs to improve, at least it's written down. That we can yep. improve it that way. So um, other than that, I, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm in grad school and that pretty much takes up most of my time anymore. Tell me, um, so what are you in grad school for and what inspired you to go back? Well, let's take the second question first. What inspired me to go back? So I'm one of those people, I joined the Navy, dropped out of college, joined the Navy, and then worked for 20 some odd years and then finally went back to college. So I re -gradu graduated with my undergraduate in 2014. Um, but at this point, you know, my undergraduate was in cybersecurity with a minor in critical infrastructure and terrorism. I had 20 some odd years at that point, And I think at that point I had four certifications. In my, so I didn't really need a master's in cyber in my view. I had plenty of work experience. And, um, but I was absolutely convinced I would, I'm never going to get an MBA because it's just finance bores the hell out of me. It's just, it's, yeah. not, it's not my thing. Right. I mean, everybody's got their thing. Um, an MBA is just not, and if I'm not interested in the subject, then. Then it's I'm much not, harder to study. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to study. I'm not, I just know me. I'm not going to study about it. Um, so I've been sort of dilly-dallying around with going, you know, did I want a master's degree or graduate degree or did I not? And then uh, I ended up looking at um, programs in organizational change management, which I don't know why. I, I think my girlfriend and I were having a conversation one night about it. She's like, we should look into this. And so I started looking around at that and I ended up at Colorado State University and theirs is, they have a master's of IT management with a concentration in organizational leadership and change management. Okay. Um, and the price worked out well. Um, the program's two years, so I'm you know two months into it now at this point. Uh, pretty pleased with it so far. Uh, and that's essentially just more something to do. I, I just got my fifth certification, and I'm, you know, I need to be. I need something to occupy my time and keep me off the streets. Otherwise, it becomes you know doing heroin off the back of a. <laughs> Back of a hooker, and nobody needs that in my life. No. So I'm kidding. I don't, For anybody listening, I'm not into no. heroin. I'm not into hookers. <laughs> yeah. Look, I need and Ed, we, Ed, we don't want you to start either of those things either. We don't right. want so that for you. I'm going to graduate school to keep myself off the streets. Um, I don't know. It was. It was. It felt like it was time more than anything else. Yeah. So organizational change management. Yeah. I know what change management is. I know what organizational means. I'm not familiar with all three of those words being used together explain in um in english what that means so and i'm going to caveat this saying i haven't taken any of those classes yet because that's the concentration 
But Understood. it's how change affects an organization. Change within the organization affects the, the larger organization. Mm-hmm. That's what I, organizational development and change management. So if I'm making a wholesale change to a division, how does it affect that division? How does it affect the larger organization that division lives under? That's, my, that's my base understanding of it. So there's a component of that. One of my customers was a decision analysis consultant mm-hmm. and it was like really fascinating. His job was that they would take big decisions that a company had to make, like, which usually was like, should we do this new thing or should we try to refine the thing we've always been doing? You know, something large at like, a, should we outsource all of our IT or should we move our corporate headquarters to another state? Like right. big decisions like that. And he would make all these mathematical models of like all the different outcomes that that could produce and then the probability thereof and be like, kind of like, here's the best case scenario, here's the worst case scenario, and here's some likely outcomes. And they would spend yeah. like months on it. You know? So right right now, because I know we're broadcasting this on YouTube, there's somebody out there with a degree in organizational development and change management who's screaming at their screen that I've screwed this whole definition up. But again... <laughs> I need to caveat, I haven't taken those classes yet. I'm still in the, the core IT management classes. So um, please no, no blowback online. Yeah. And then what are the the, the IT management classes? Um, I was an IT manager for a long time, although I never went to college for it. But what uh, what are you learning there? Some of that's got to be reviewed for you, right? It it's is. Just like it, it, some of it is. Yeah. Uh, like the first class was basically called IT management, and it was fairly foundational. Um I'm in a cloud and virtualization class right now, which is fascinating. I mean, I'm not a cloud expert, but I certainly understand the basics of cloud, but this is getting into how you manage clouds and that sort of thing. Um, There is a class, I think my next one's on ERP systems, enterprise resource planning systems. There's a class on security, you know, IT security, cybersecurity, that I'm hoping that one is fairly easy for me to take. Yeah. Ed, that one's got to be easy for you. I mean, you've got the experience there. We'll see. I mean, I don't want to count my chickens, but in theory, that is something I know a little bit about. So, Cool. Yeah, it's yeah, 12, 12 classes, um, eight core and four concentration classes. So. Gotcha. Do you have to take statistics or no? I have to take stats. All right. Everyone I know went to grad school. I'm not one of them. <laughs> who took statistics, like complained about that class incessantly. I, I think it's an American pastime to complain about a stats class. My daughter did it for her undergraduate. She complained about it. So yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how, but I mean, it's funny because depending on what your graduate degree is in, if your job is to obtain budget by providing reports, statistics is a very good way to sure. uh, do that. It, it has value. I'm not, it's just, hopefully nobody asked me to do that kind of work. So. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully somebody else can, right. can do that. I'll hire um, very smart people to do my statistics for me. To do your stats. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So no, you got no Bitcoin. Um, you got an electric car yet? What's your thought on that? Uh, I, you know, no, I don't have an electric car yet. And it's principally a function of there's not enough parking spaces in my building that have the charging equipment. Right. So. And then... Aren't you, are you a motorcycle guy or no? I can't remember. If so I, that I am not, I took the uh, motorcycle class last. Oh, didn't you and Justin take it together or something? Uh, Justin, or yeah, well, he had already taken it. He, take, I he took it. He agreed to take it with me. Okay. Um, what I learned after my two days of road testing, my bike skills is while I enjoy it, I need a lot more time butting the seat before I go out and get my motorcycle license. Yeah. I enjoy it. I just, I'm not very good at it. And 
no point in trying to spend that kind of money on a bike if I'm not going to be that good at it or get, get enough experience to do it. And everybody, I know I can hear people, motorcyclists in the background going, just spend more time on the bike. And that's great, except I don't have a whole lot of free time at this moment. So. Yeah. Well, I like the idea of like touring, like taking your bike on the PCH, the idea of riding my bike on the 405. Yeah. Can't do it. I just, yeah. I don't have the, I don't have the attention span for it. Like you got to be very, very focused. So I enjoyed it. I really did. Um, just not very good at it and wasn't driven enough to, to get better at it at that moment in my life. Yeah. So what are you looking forward to most when everything is quote unquote open or what's one thing you haven't been able to do that once vaccinated and once things are, you know, you're allowed to, what do you, what do you miss the most? What are you most excited about? This is going to make me sound awful. Go into a bar. And There's nothing wrong with that. Sitting at the bar and having a drink. I did. That is the one thing that I miss more than anything else. I mean, we can go to restaurants and we can sit at tables and have cocktails and eat food and everything. But I can't just go up to my local water hole that's a block away and sit at the bar yet. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's got to be coming back pretty soon. It, it's going to have to. I mean, I, that you know, I, there are phases, obviously, here in California. We're in what they call them tiers or colored zones or whatever it is. Uh, I think we're in orange now, I think. But um, if we do this July 15th thing or June 15th, whatever the date is, that the governor mm -hmm. said, my assumption is back to normal means bars are open. Like Absolutely. They, like they used to be. So, yeah. Yeah, you'll just you'll have to wear a mask with a little straw. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there'll still be some precautionary measures. And I'm then, sure like, they'll have the plexiglass up between you and the bartender for a while and that sort of thing. Yeah. And how did you learn? So um, for those that don't know, um, Ed seems to know a lot about wine, whiskey. You knew a lot about tequila. Uh, before we started broadcasting, he was talking to our uh, marketing manager about hard kombucha. A category I didn't even know existed. What, is this just from being interested in it, or like you said yourself, like you don't have a lot of free time? Where do you find the time? To, how do you have all this knowledge about that stuff? Well, it comes from a long history of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> no um, experience. So one of the we did a couple things uh, here at my apartment with my girlfriend uh, when the pandemic started, and one of them was to make a cocktail a day, a new cocktail a day every day uh we ended up stopping it like right before the end of the year because we were traveling um but yeah we made a new cocktail every day with only a couple repeats so we ended up being 231 cocktails i think is what we made over nice over 2020 uh so you learn a lot about recipes and other i'm a whiskey drinker by by habit that's just my favorite you know bourbons and rice and irish whiskeys are my favorites um well, you can only make so many cocktails that don't repeat each other with those those three ingredients. So you start branching out into Hawaiian cocktails and tequila cocktails. And I made more gin cocktails than I care to count. Um, and they're all fascinating. They're all great. And so you end up spending a lot of time learning about them. And um, we're obviously wine fans. I think we got our wine fridge when I moved to California because that's what they issue you when you move here. Yeah. Uh, but we did the wine tour in Ensenada, Mexico. That was fascinating. I know uh, Alex has been on that one. Um, we joined a winery back in 2019 down in Temecula. So we've spent a number of weekends down in Temecula drinking great wine down there. We have not been up to Napa or um, uh, the Santa Barbara area yet. But we've drank a lot of wines there. 
But uh, it, it's just you know you find something you like and then you start riffing on a on the on the idea. Yeah. All right. So you said two hundred and what was it? Two hundred twenty one or something. Two hundred thirty one. I think I put them in a book. That was a bir- it was a Christmas gift to my girlfriend. I put a book right. out of it. All right, so I got a great question for you. Of all 231, what was the worst, like the most disgusting? Like what was the one oh. that you liked the least? Because come on, out of 231, yeah, it, no, can't, no, it can't all have been good, right? No, you're right, you're right. Um, there was one that we made. Uh, oh, my God, what was it? It had a licorice sort of taste, but also a bitter taste with like a Fernet Branca. Uh, and it was just, it was gross. It was the only one I gave to, so I rate them all on Instagram. Um, I give them one through five martini glasses. It was the only one that I ever gave two martini glasses to. <laughs> and no, 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 none of the drinks ever only got one, huh? No, none of them ever got one. Because, I mean, if it's a one martini glass drink, I shouldn't have made it to begin with. Yeah. Well, now that's my goal in life is to is to trick you into drinking a one martini glass <laughs> drink. Oh, Jägermeister and orange juice with a splash of Rumplemans. That's what we'll. Um, you know what? I've actually done something similar to that. So, yeah, yeah you, can, you can try it, but I'll, I'll probably <laughs> drink it. I may not like it, but I'll probably drink it. Yeah, I have actually drank Jägermeister and orange juice, and I've actually drank Rumplemans, mm-hmm. both of which are pretty disgusting. So I thought, hey, if you mix the two together, there used to be know. in my younger Navy days a drink that um, it was like the Three Horsemen of Death or something. It was Jägermeister, Rumplemans, and Goldschlager all mixed together in a single shot. Wow. Yeah. Not healthy at all, but. Uh, yeah. Rough on the stomach lining, probably yeah, hard yeah, the next yeah, day. I was, I was 21. Indestructible. Yeah, I was indestructible. I was in the Navy. I was 21. Nothing could kill me at that point. Goldschlager. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, Ed, I really, really appreciate you doing this. Thanks a lot. Oh, I'm, absolutely. Uh, you know, excited to see you again in person sometime on or around June 15th. It's been way too long. It's been nice to keep in touch, you know, uh, via Zoom, but can't wait to uh, you know, see you in person. Before I go, what's uh, what's the plan for this weekend? What are you doing this weekend? Uh, so, as I meant, as you mentioned, it's my birthday this weekend. Uh, birthday is actually tomorrow. My girlfriend has, has put together a taco-themed birthday. Love it. Uh, everything we're doing is... I'm a big fan of tacos, which is one of the many reasons I'm never leaving LA. Uh, yeah. But it's, we're doing taco themed b- meals and activities all weekend. So I'm not that sure what like, it is. I've asked to be kept in the dark. I want it to be a surprise, but uh, I'm excited. Be, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. Super yeah. Fun. And there's like you taco tour of LA. You'll never run out of options. Right. So, Such awesome. a great concept. <laughs> cool. Well, I hope you guys have a wonderful time this weekend. Happy birthday in advance. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks again for doing this. And uh, hey, look, I'll let like a month go by because just in case you've had too many, but then perhaps when we get together, what we'll have to do is go for tacos because I think that's something we can all agree on. I I am all in on this plan, Tom. All in. Thanks again for joining this week's episode of Fresh Tech Fridays. I'm your host, Tom Gilsonen. I want to thank Jason Johnson for composing our theme music. RSPE, and especially Russ for help with some engineering and equipment, Dell Technologies for helping sponsor some episodes of the podcast, Kayla Robeson, DZ Solutions Marketing Director for helping make this all possible, and last but not least, our fearless audio engineer, Jeff Rockland, engineering from afar. If you want to learn more about Jeff and his projects, I encourage you to check out his Relief Valve podcast. 
that you can find wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks again and see you next time.